Hey guys, welcome to Pressing On. Uh, this is a podcast where we'll be looking at the truths as guys as we live on this journey of life. I'm your host, Scott Lessing. I'm a former sports medicine athletic trainer and I'm a men's pastor. And every month we're going to bring you real conversations that help us discover God's direction for daily life as we press on together. This podcast is for guys who want to go deeper as we seek God while really finding the practical insight to to live differently on this journey. So what we're going to be doing is looking into real life from a guy's perspective. We're going to talk through how to grow and become an improved version of who we are. You will be highly encouraged every single month as we search and we live out these discovered truths. As we strive to press on to what God has called us to this month, which is August of 2020, we have Chris Meekins and Jordy Vickery and and myself, Jordy here, here, and Scott here. We're going to be talking about a very specific tool that most of us guys rarely have maybe even seen modeled to us by other guys. And maybe it's something that we've even said, this tool is ridiculous or not essential for life. Uh, as, as a guy. So this is a question I have for us. You know, on our computers, right? Or, or you could go on your cell phone. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's always one app that, have you ever wondered, like, why is that app on my phone? Uh, yeah, I've got like 120 of them. I'm like, <laughs> this must, I must have had a thought for a moment. And thought, oh, yeah, I'll put on that app. Never, like, never like what's one it. of the apps? For me, it's any? voice memo. Uh, do you use voice memo? I do. You do? See, for me, I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like, I'm never going to use that. Until I started looking at it, literally this morning, I was like, well, I should probably look at that before I talk about it. I would be driving, and I'd have a sermon in my head, and I would know when I got home, it'd be gone. I'd be like, what do I do? And that's when I started using voice memo. And and is that automatically on my phone? Yes. It's somewhere probably that you put... I'm going to need a four-year-old to show me where it's at. (laughs) How about the tape measure app? I have no clue how you would use that. I, do, I will say, though, that I have looked up how long my phone is and used it to measure things. Or there's a level app that's the level, actually the decent. Le- it's yeah. in that same app. That's good, actually. Yeah, you put it on a shelf. and I, Now, I've tried using the tape measure, and I thought, how accurate is this really? Well, I tried it this morning. It was 100% accurate. Where really? is it yes. at? It's, it's in your tools. Okay. You have to download it. Okay. But so this is the question. Is it possible that, that maybe we've looked at... If you want to look at me, I have a Fitbit app here, and I can tell you that that's not been used in a very, very long time. <laughs> it's been about... I haven't used it in about 40 pounds now, but go ahead. But it could be useful, right? <laughs> it could be. And so that, that's the point of this morning. Like what the, 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 what we're, the tool or the app that we're going to be talking about for our lives, it, maybe we would say it's like the tape measure app. Like, ah, come on. It can't be. But then we look at it and we're like, wow. Like, well, that's accurate. Like that's not only is it accurate, it could really save me like, having to go all the way back home to pick up my tape measure and come yeah. back and do something in my office, right? So the tool that we're talking about this morning is compassion. And the Bible defines compassion in a unique way, different than the dictionary. It defines compassion by showing us what compassion looks like and what's actually involved with compassion. And Jordy, will you kind of share this and open it up for us this morning? Yeah, our message today is inspired by Jesus, (laughs) John 11. So we're just going to read a little bit about what happened in a story just kind of known as the Lazarus story, really. John 11, right in the beginning, Jesus hears 
that a man named Lazarus is ill. And we know that they were friends. And Jesus just says, hey, this illness does not lead to death. Then he hears about it. And verse 6 says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then two days later, he's like, let's go to Bethany. And his disciples are like, well, that's terrifying. Didn't we get like chased out of there? And he's like, we'll just walk in the day. It'll be fine. And it's literally <laughs> what he says. And so they do. And he shows up and Lazarus died four days ago by the time he got there. And what's interesting is we know that he intentionally did not hurry to get there. And he tells his disciples, hey, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. And we learn through these passages that Jesus has a plan. He has an agenda to do something awesome. And it really is revolved around his glory. God is always in the business of revealing his glory, revealing his power, leading us back to him. And so he's, he lets Lazarus die on purpose. And he's planning to raise him from the dead. And that's what makes the rest of this so fascinating because as Jesus approaches, he's getting there and Martha runs out to Jesus. There's Martha and Mary and they're weeping over Lazarus and Martha runs out to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And it's kind of this like passive aggressive, like if you were here, this wouldn't have happened, but you can fix it. You know, it's like, <laughs> what, what are you saying? And this is to Jesus. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she's like, I know everyone's going to rise again, but that's not for a while. And this isn't fun. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Like, do you believe that I'm who I said I am and I'm going to raise people from the dead? And she's like, yes, I do. And then as, as he gets closer, he calls for Mary and Mary runs out, and they, they must have, Mary and Martha definitely vented together, because she <laughs> says the same thing to Jesus. She literally falls at his feet, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, and she's just a wreck. And Jesus Were saw... Were you talking to your sister? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were you guys talking about me when I wasn't there? <laughs> yeah, and... Here's, what's the, here's the fascinating part is she's mourning. There's all these Jews with her who, like, mourning was a big, big thing that people gathered around in this day, kind of like a funeral today. And so all these people are there weeping, and they're following her and helping her process grief, and she's a wreck. And Jesus does not miss Lazarus himself. We know that because he is moments away from raising him from the dead. And he, he knows the whole plan. He has nothing to be personally sad over. But here's what happens next. This is so fascinating. In verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he had said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, the shortest verse in the entire Bible, Jesus wept. And there it is. And then it keeps going. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And so now Jesus is overhearing like this conversation, like, see, he cared. No, he didn't. And there's this grief and there's this confusion. 
Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again. And so in the process of this grand plan that ends in joy, right? Like, like joy comes in the morning. Jesus sees in the moment where people are at, what they're feeling, what they're going through. And he's deeply moved and he weeps along for them. Not out of his own weakness or trouble, but in compassion and empathy for what he sees. And then, of course, you know, he approaches the tomb and he says, take the stone away. And they go, but Jesus. It stinks. It stinks. He's been in there four days. And <laughs> Dude's rotten Don't there, open man. the gate. Yeah. And, and he convinces them to do it and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And it's this whole miracle. And then everyone, of course, is happy, you know. I, I think what we're really talking about today, though, is Jesus, he was able to, like, go there with them. Like, he wept. He cared. And when he saw even the confusion that, like, we go through, like, does Jesus care? Is he looking? Does anyone care? Jesus was there with us. And I just, I find that fascinating. Chris, how would you have handled the situation if you were Jesus? You know, first of all, the way, the way they talk to Jesus, I mean, when I read that, I read it as, like, you know, I'm the man here. Uh, who, don't you know who I am? I mean, I'm Jesus, and you're coming and confronting me, and now you're going to give me a hard time because I, I did that? And so, um, I mean, I would be going down, are you really asking me, God, the Son, where I was at? And then, and then the more you look at it, it wasn't really what, you know, it wasn't really about that. It was like Jesus was joining them. I mean, he's so much bigger than us. His, oh. his view is so yeah. much wider and deeper, and he's, he's like, no, I'm going to come here, and I'm going to participate, and I'm going to join you in, in your sorrow. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to participate. I just think it goes to how humble Jesus was. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's where I'm not. You know, I'm not humble. And so Jesus, you look at it, he's like, he's there with them. And, you know, the other thing, too, is I think as guys, like, we can diminish other people's pain. You know, we can, you know, like, downplay it. Yeah. Like, especially because Jesus just said previously, like, this, I, I promise, like, this is what's going to happen. You know, and, right. and Maverick City has this song. I forget the name of it, but it's essentially saying, like, it, it goes, like, if you said it, we believe it. And they didn't believe it. Like, they forgot what he said. Right. And how does he handle that? Like, he, he doesn't, like jump down their throats or like pound right, his chest right, or right. make them feel stupid. He still joins them in their pain. Right. And what you said about diminishing. So the thing about Jesus is that he doesn't like, oh, you're being stupid by feeling that way. Don't you know I'm God? He, <laughs> he doesn't diminish that. And so I think there's just, there's just all kinds of different stories in that when you watch the personal interaction of what's going on, because it wasn't really about them. It was about Lazarus. It was about Jesus being glorified. Yeah. And so even though he knew that he was going to be glorified and in five minutes from now, everybody's going to be happy, he still joined them in their pain. And he allowed space for that. Yeah. Like that's, that was what was fascinating to me, to give people the space to, to struggle. Yeah. Even though God made a promise that you maybe have forgotten about, he gives them that space. Right. The other thing that, that this brings to our minds is that relationships are messy, Yeah. right? Life would yeah. be really easy if there were no other people involved, right? But, but that's not the case. That will never be the case until Jesus comes. So relationships are messy. They're, they're challenging. 
And so there's really a, a few points that we can take from this to make it really practical for us as guys, right? Like if we were to go back to the opening, this is something that we either have never had modeled to us, maybe was told the exact opposite, or, or maybe like, I, I don't even know how to do it. Yeah. Or, or should yeah. we have it? As guys, shouldn't we be tough and like do like do we have to have of all hey, things you're talking about died. empathy? The guy died. What do you want me to do? You know, right. he's dead. Suck Move it on. up. So, sure. Jordy, what what's one of the one of the things that you would take from this? Yeah, I, I think like Hebrews four fifteen, the author's writing about God, and he specifically speaks about Jesus in this passage. He says, "For we do not have a high priest." And that was kind of Jesus' role. That's the terms that God used dealing with people in the Old Testament because this was a part of their culture, like the high priest concept, someone between people and God who was unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Like, we do not have a God who can't understand, who can't sympathize. Like, he gets it. You know, and I think like that needs to be true about us as leaders and people that we lead or people that we're around. Like, we need to model God in this way. Like, we are not above this, you know, but we can see and feel where people are at. I I thought of I went to Connecticut for the Fourth of July and stayed with a friend's family, and one of my friends, his his father, who. He, you know, he's older, he's coming up on retirement, and he's done well for himself. He has this awesome, awesome house. That he has like a putting green and a chipping green and a pond on it and everything. And Why didn't you take me with you? Like, that sounds yeah. like my place to I me. know, I don't even And it's on the East Coast. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, I'll I just go. played bocce ball all week. And, <laughs> okay, and I like so, bocce too. I just sold a house that had a bocce ball court in the back. It was See, like, I'm about I'm like, that. How sweet is this? Forget the house, you know. <laughs> it's got a bocce ball with a trellis. Yeah, and, and so... <laughs> I had been years back, I'd been to their last house, and it was cool, but it was nothing like this house, you know, and they'd saved up for a long time, there was a really cool pool and a diving board and all these things, and, and so he's telling me about the move, and his name is Steve, he built the second, there's like a second house on the property, he just built it by hand, like, he's got this huge mustache, he's killed more deer than like I could ever hope to, like he's just, he's just the man, you know? He's like a man's man, right? He totally is, he totally is. And he just doesn't care. He's just in that stage of life where, like, he's done caring. He is who he is. He likes what he likes. He wears what he wears. And, and he's telling me that his, his wife is his honey. I've, almost, I've never heard her even say, like, him say her name. He's just my honey. And he's telling me about the move, and he's telling me how hard it was on his honey. And he starts explaining, like, yeah, he's like, I go to work every day, but my wife, like, she raised and homeschooled these boys in the house. Hmm. And he starts, like, getting choked up. And he's, like, he's, he's, like, emotional, but he's still looking me in the eye. So you can't, like, look away and deflect. And, like, so, like, I'm, like, going through this with him, like, trying to listen. <laughs> he's, like, losing it, telling me how hard it was on his wife to move and the boys and how, but it was such a better opportunity. And this is where they want to end their life. And they rent out the second home, you know, all these things and reasons why it made sense to move, but he's still feeling like this is why it was hard. And he tells me at one point, and this was just like above and beyond, he goes, it was so hard on my honey, I went back to the person who bought my house and tried to buy it back off of them. That's crazy. And he he wasn't able to. He was going to give up everything he had saved up for, everything he had dreamed of, all these building plans, the rental, everything just to make life easier for his honey, you know? And I, I thought, like, man, like, this, this is strength, you know? Like, like, it can seem like 
weakness to get emotional or to feel something, but this is strength for him not to deflect, but to go to that place emotionally with his wife who he cares for and go through all that pain, even though they stuck with their decision, you know, and I'm sure that she did not feel alone in that move because of that. Like, this dude's got a rock-solid marriage, you know? Right. But but he could have been like, I mean, honey, look, look at all this stuff we have. Are you, Don't you know like, what I do? You'll, you'll get over it. Right. And what does he do? He, he, he becomes sympathetic and yeah. vulnerable. Like, he joins her yes. where she's at. Yeah. I mean, it's total humility that it's, it's a part of, <laughs> it's a level of humility that I have no clue about. I mean, I've never done that. And I think that, you know, when you're explaining it, even he was so humble when you watched that, you saw an example. And, and that's probably what these people, what, when they were watching Jesus do that, they were experiencing a level of humility that only Jesus could display. Well, and it wasn't something they had ever seen before in in a person like Jesus, right? Right, right. This was a, a new, spiritual this, authority. Yeah, this was new stuff. Brand new. Yeah, it them. would not be cu- cultural for any priest in their society. Well, plus two, and with a the the man and woman thing. I mean, here he is like, don't you? You're women. I'm man. And that was a big deal. And that was a big deal back then. He, your your friend Steve, he had this what I would call a shared feeling with his wife, like. He allowed himself to go to a place right. that was vulnerable, right. sympathetic. He had empathy, and empathy comes out. And First Peter three eight is probably one of the most well known Bible verses about compassion. It says we should be like minded. That's what Steve did. He got into his wife's mind and didn't call her crazy. He went there and said, "Well, why?" And he was willing to sell his dream house, maybe the family's dream house. Yeah. The scripture says not only be like minded, be sympathetic. And then it says, love one another, be compassionate, and the last one is be humble. And uh, you put all those things together, like, that's a tall order for us. And they, have, they ended up not doing that, right? They, they still live in that house. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. You, when you go down, when you make a choice to be humble, sympathetic, to listen, you go down a path where you're explaining something, and all of a sudden, God takes over hmm. and has the people change. When you're, when you're talking to your wife or your kids and you're humble and you're like, I- I'm so sorry that I just spent the family fortune. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, it's okay, daddy. You know, but if you're going to, do you not understand who I am? They're like, yeah, I understand. You're a big jerk, right? <laughs> and so I, I think like what you're talking about is that he went down the path. He made a choice to be a bigger man. By, and, and that's what it's... And then you get people, I don't want to say the change, but you get people to, they'll hear you. Yeah, and that's what they did with Jesus in, in this picture, right? right. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that, that I see in here too, this is what he did really well. Another takeaway for me was he listened really well. He wasn't thinking about his next thought. Right. He wasn't thinking about his counteraction to how they're responding. Yeah, how am I... He just listened. Yeah. There's some really important things that happen when we listen. You know, I mean, it makes the other people feel valued. That story, that happened to Seven Pillars, what was that all about? Man, so this was just last two weeks ago. I walk into Seven Pillars, which is our ministry for guys who are struggling with some sort of a sexual addiction, and there's a brand new guy there. And he immediately starts going off about how, you know, any church that hasn't opened 
they're a bunch of for COVID reasons. Beep, 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 <laughs> yeah. beep, and and you could just see all the other people in the room. They were now everyone's listening to this conversation, sure. and I just listened for probably close to fifteen minutes. Wow. A long that's time. That's a long time. That's, that's a, a speech. Like, that's a lifetime. That's a long time. And that's a long time for me. I don't have, I mean, I get distracted by the squirrels all the time. So, I mean, I was very focused and I listened and I listened to a lot of the things this guy said. Some of the things that he said had a lot of value. Like he, he could be right with some of the things he was saying, but the things that the, the frustration, it was like, man, is this coming from somewhere else? That's what I kept thinking. So at the end of his, you know, we had to get started with the night. So I right. just said, Hey, you know what? <laughs> There's a different perspective that we could talk about. Let's talk about that later. And we dove in and we started talking about like that night in particular about the triggers that cause us to turn to porn or sex or lust or whatever, instead of just going to the Lord and dealing with some of our struggles. And so we talked about that as a table by the end, like this guy was like, he was broken about this struggle. Right. Right. And at the end, he apologized to everyone at the table asked us to forgive him for the rant that he went on at the beginning. And then he came up to me afterwards and personally, you know, asked me to forgive him too and apologize. Hey, I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. I'm just, you know, I'm really frustrated. And, and what it came down to was his frustration. Like it's coming from somewhere else. Right. It's really not about this. And he may not even have known it. Right. But the story for me, what, what it really showed me is that when I listen, I get to hear what's really going on in someone's life. Right. Mm. You know, and, and that's a part of empathy. Like listening, I think sometimes listening can be more for us than it is. I think it's a lot for the other person too. But it helped me understand he's really upset about something. And I think most people know what the problem is. They, and they know what the answer is. They just need to process it. And they need to process it with the person. And do you care enough to listen? Right. That's, that's really, a, a lot of people want to know that. Like, do, do you care enough about me to listen for and just sit with me in the crap of my life, yeah, right? Because there's a lot that, of junk. Oh, that Scott Leslie, he's so awesome, man. It's like, <laughs> uh, what did I do? I listened to you rant for 15 minutes. Right. It, but it's really hard to do that. Because right. in, internally. And he's probably a really good dude. You know, oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was a great guy. And, and, and internally, I was wrestling right. with some of the things he was saying. And I wanted to get defensive. And, yeah. but, but the Lord kept reminding me, just listen to this just guy. Listen. listen. And then you get to learn. When you listen, you get to learn about them. You learn a lot about yourself, too. But then what, what, what happens is I was able to get with this guy and, and almost like let him know like a couple times I was like, man, that really stinks. Like what you're talking about, it does. It sucks that we can't get together right. and it sucks this and, and that's terrible and blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. But, but the, at the end of the day, he felt cared for. He felt valued. He felt loved, right? And that's really what listening does. Yeah. You heard this quote, David Oxberg, being listened to is so close to being loved that most people cannot tell the difference. Mm. Never heard that before. Yeah. Say that again. Say that again. Being listened to is so close to being loved that most people cannot tell the difference. Wow. Wow. And it's fascinating. I, I don't think I would ever say, like, hear me. I need to feel, you know, but, like, when someone just keeps ranting and can't stop telling you something, like, you've just got to be real with yourself. Like, there's something going on. Like, you want to be heard, you know, and you need to feel that in some yeah. sense. Or you wouldn't need to tell them so much. So this whole listening thing, it makes people feel valued and loved, like you were saying, Jordy. I remember 
Mo, Mo shares this story that her dad would, you know, and this is like a probably a very typical thing that dads would say, right? Yeah. She would, you know, hurt her knee, like fall on her knee, and her dad would tell her to just turn off the tears, you know, like like that's I think that's a very common thing for us as guys to say, or as people really, to not want to listen <laughs> to why does that hurt? You know, and I mean, Mo's dad was a great guy. He listened really well, actually. But but that was one thing, like, I I think it's just easier sometimes. Yeah, that made me think of, like, because I grew up in a home where it was like, hey, like, I I didn't cry. I didn't feel like, oh, like, yeah, I would go share feelings with my father, you know? Yeah. And that's just how things were. And I thought that's, like, well, that's how it should be, you know? And so even growing up, like, I remember being in high school and hanging out with one of my closest friends. Like, we literally, like, hung out every single weekend. Like, so many inside jokes, so many adventures. And there was this um, guy in our church, like two, three years older than us, that was mentoring him. And he invited both of us over, and we were hanging out. And he asked my friend, like, hey, your parents have been struggling. Like, how's their marriage doing? Is it getting any better? And his face turned dead pink. And, like, I looked over, and he was looking at me, like, side-eyed, like, freaking out. (laughs) Because we had been friends for years, and we'd never gone there. Hmm. And I realized that I was finding those kinds of relationships, even though it wasn't, like, conscious. You know, I just, like, I didn't go there with my friends. And so everyone tried to be fine in front of me because I was fine to everyone. And I don't think, like, I I guess I'm not getting at, like, oh, we need to be emotional or, like, sappy to be real men or something like that. Or Jesus was, you know, he was, like, overly, like, emotions on his sleeve or anything like that. But I think what we're saying is there's a tool that's useful for leadership that really just being that way lets us into relational areas that could otherwise be off limits. And I think that at this point in my life, I've realized, like, you can't tell me it's strength to be shut down emotionally. Right. You know, like, to not be able to go there with your spouse or your kids or your friends, like, when something's happening and they can't even process it with you, that's not strength. That's a defense mechanism to to not have to be vulnerable or put yourself out there. It's similar to, like, trust, like, when someone's trust is broken, and then, I don't trust anyone, and people try to make that sound cool. Like, that's not cool. That actually makes every relationship suck. Yeah. And it's the same way with being vulnerable. But when you have the conversation with someone, like, you got screwed over by this guy, and you never talked about it, but then all of a sudden you talk about it, the other person's like, hey... Do you know that, you know, this guy's going through this or did you not understand that this is going on? And all of a sudden you become enlightened. Yeah. And but you can't be enlightened unless you have the conversation. Well, you're you're that person, aren't you? Like, don't you bring the enlightenment in the room? Like, yes. Like you just ask the question. Like I always like try to like get people to tell me, like, you know, like it's okay, you can tell. You're just like, hey. Hey, what are you doing in there? Do you fight with your spouse last night? <laughs> like <laughs> And, and there was this guy at the fire station years ago when I was in the fire department. Like, everybody would be sitting around a table, and that's what you do at the fire station. You sit around, and you just talk. And I mean, it's like junior high school, okay? But a guy named Bill was uh, retired, and he retired for a little bit, and he ended up um, heard he had cancer. So he came into the fire station. You could tell the guy was just struggling. And everybody's sitting around there talking about, oh, how's Jenny? How's George? How's this? How's retirement? Oh, you're getting to, you know, whatever. And, and I'm, you know, it's going on for 30 minutes. And I'm thinking, why is nobody calling for the question here? Dude, the guy's got cancer and he's going to die. Everybody knows. Yeah. And God forbid that we talk about it. And so I, I you know, me, I, I go, 
how's that cancer going? Is that true that you got cancer? And he's, then he started talking about it. And when I left, the guys were like, I can't believe you would ask that question. But it, like, it, it enlightened the whole, it became real. And the guy was totally struggling. He had no one to talk about. And nobody just asked the question, the obvious question that was right in front of him. I don't know if that gives hope. I don't know if that, it just makes you move into a, a it, there's somebody there. There's somebody to hear you. And that's what, go back to the story, that's what Jesus did. They just wanted, they weren't saying, you killed Lazarus by not being here. They just needed to be heard. Yep. They just need to be told. They wanted to tell somebody, we, oh, we know that you could have been there. Well, and, and what, what he does next is he asks the question, let, let me see him. Like, where did you put him? Because now what he's saying is, take me into your pain, right? And he asks that it's question. It's like, go view the body. Right. He asked that question to go deeper because, I mean, we've been to funerals. When you see the body, it's a different ballgame. Right? Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, whoa, that's real. And what he's saying is he's asking that question to take me into your pain. So we have to ask really good questions, right? right. So to ask really good questions means I need to ask those questions that take me deeper into their pain or whatever it is that they're trying to tell you to be more empathetic, ask better questions, ask deeper questions. It's really not that hard. Right. And it, you have to look at it. As, it is a ministry. It's what God called us to do. It's the hard part about ministry is actually having compassion yeah. for this other person in front of me. So to have empathy, we need to be vulnerable, have sympathy. We need to listen really well. We need to ask better questions or deeper questions. And then from there, what happens? And listen to the answer. And listen to the answer and not just try to tell them. How many what times to do. You, you someone asks you a question and then you start telling them and they don't listen to your answer? Yeah, you can you see them like, thinking of the next thing to say. Yes. What happens like with compassion, Jesus enters the story. He enters. Because you're being like Jesus. Because you're being like Jesus. Like, you, can't, you can't walk into a room and be like, yeah, I'm supposed to be like Jesus, so I'm going to raise this person from the dead. But you can't act like him. You know, you can't have that compassion and that Jesus-like behavior yeah. and bring those things. You can just go there with people, and you can be what Jesus was to people. And that's amazing. And that is bringing Jesus into a conversation. That, that's exactly how we do it, right? And, and that's greater kingdom impact. But how do you do that as a, a man in the world that we've been trained as men to, God forbid, that we would get involved I think right now, in our world right now, August of 2020, okay. there are so many ways that we can be more compassionate as guys. We don't have to tear up, though, right? Right. You don't have to cry. Okay. Cool. Turn the tears off. You don't, you don't have to cry. <laughs> Turn those tears off. Right? You but just have to go there. Just go there. Like, actually have a conversation about George Floyd and racism instead of saying all the reasons why we shouldn't. Right. Like, actually listen to someone who has lived in that all of their life. Or actually listen to people about why they're upset about the masks. Like Find why, out what the real reason. What's the real reason? Like, I, I had a conversation with somebody just the other day. They were so upset about the masks. And what it came down to was that they were really struggling with control. They, they just want more control in their life. I mean, and, and if you go to... To Romans 14, the eating meat versus not eating meat. It's a great, it's a great example. I mean, have compassion on people. When, when the Lord calls us to not eat meat because it might upset that person, yeah. that's compassion, right, Jordy? Yeah. 
Absolutely. It wasn't a sin to be right or wrong about the meat matter. When Paul wrote in um, Corinthians, it was either 1 Corinthians 8 or 10, it wasn't a sin to be right or wrong about the meat. It was a sin how you acted in response to that. How did yeah. you treat people? Did you bring it up? Did you try to institute people into your beliefs? All of that is where you got into trouble. Yeah. And if you take all this and you say, okay, wait a minute, do I be compassionate? Do I not be compassionate? Do I have this conversation? I'm feeling like I'm a weak man doing it or whatever. The truth is, is that what we're trying to do as a person, as, as a follower of Jesus, is to bring people to an understanding that God does love them and he does care for them and that I'm his representative on earth as bad as a Christian that I am, <laughs> as much as I suck at being a Christian, the truth is, is that I can bring people to an understanding of who God is. It is not in my nature to want to hear my wife crying. I mean, she got pregnant every time. I'm like, by the fourth time, I'm like, all I'm asking you is just don't cry, okay? Because <laughs> she cries for nine months, and I'm like, just don't cry. But that's not how Jesus did. Jesus right. says, okay, you're going through something. I'm going to, Blackaby talks about it. Join God where he's working. Yes. And when we listen to someone, we see God working in their lives. And we're joining up with God in their life by listening and carrying out this conversation with them. So this new app called Compassion that's on our phone, right, in our lives. Okay. It's available to us. On demand. How do we do it? You know, we've heard desperate dependence on the Holy Spirit. Like, how do we... Desperately depend on the Lord to have more compassion in our lives. Jordy. I think where that comes into play is like, like when Chris says, you're going to cry for nine months? Like, don't. Like, when, when you feel there, <laughs> right. that, that's, a, that's your cue. Like, all right, you need to pray. <laughs> that's your you cue. Know? That's your Shut cue to, up. That's your cue to pray and say, like, God, like, you've got you've to take me there. Like, you've yeah. got to give me more yeah. compassion. You so know? self-awareness. For sure. You... Um, What's that thing you teach? CSI, DSI? SDI. SDI. Okay. Strengths Deployment Inventory. And you I think you don't know it on purpose. <laughs> so when you do the SDI, you talk in the one session about borrowing something. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'm like, okay, I don't know how to do this. Right. But I'm pretty sure Jordy knows how to do this. What would Jordy do right now? Jordy would, you know, he'd open up his Bible and he'd get a verse and then he would lecture me for 45 minutes. <laughs> No, but Jordy would go. Jordy would go to this logical thing, and I don't know how to do that. But you can do that. Yeah, but but I but I don't do it naturally, and so I I go. What would Jordy do? I'd go. What does Scott do? You know, and so I find someone. I have people in my life that. What would they do? Or like Jonathan, he'd probably ask them a question, and then he would listen to them for like four days. I've never met anybody right. that listens like he's amazing Jonathan. at that. Our senior pastor, Jonathan yeah. Schaefer. Yeah. Um, well. I, I think, you know, one, one of the things is as we're discovering God's direction for our lives and we're looking to go deeper with God and become maybe a different person than I am today, this is something that's really important today. Like right. This is super practical. Especially for older people that were taught and raised. We're living in a different generation. And so for all you old dudes that are listening out here that are in their 60s like me, you're going to have to make an adjustment and you're going to have to learn how to maybe ask a question, and listen, even if you don't want to. Because if you're going to represent Jesus into the older age, you're going to have to figure this out. We live in a world that relationship, it's about a relationship. We want to understand why we don't reach young guys. 
Because we don't listen to young guys. Yeah, and, and to your point, like when I was in college, lived with seven of my closest friends, I was the person who like if you were confused about something or you had a Bible question, like someone would talk to me. If someone was going through something, even in college as I was still working through all of this, right. I realized like I'm, not, I'm no one's first choice for when they don't feel good. Like, like I'm someone's first choice if they did something they're proud of or, you know, we want to do something fun. But like if you're sad, like... You'd go talk to someone who, like, you would feel like, wow, they could empathize with you more. And I realized, like, I am missing so many ministry opportunities. Right. Like, a a random quizzical Bible question, like, what is that compared to what you're actually going through and bringing Jesus to that? Like, I was missing out, you know? And I think that, like, if you want to be relevant in people's lives, you've got to be the kind of person that can go there with someone in a tough time. And Jesus is relevant right right now, today. And a real relationship is made in the tough moments, not the easy moments. Like, like, yeah, we might go on a hike together, but the dude that you're, like, sharing your breakup or your parents whatever with, like, that's the person that, you know, gets to be your best man in the wedding. Right, Right. exactly. And so vulnerability, self-awareness, listen really well, ask really good questions. And what all that does is it brings hope into the conversation. It brings hope into people's lives. And what that hope is, is Jesus, right. not us. Right. So guys, let's, let's open up that app of compassion and look at it, dive into it, not be afraid of it. Let's open it and let's start to practically apply it. To if you have lives. any questions, don't call me or Jordy. Call <laughs> Pastor Scott. <laughs> See you next month, guys. Hey, adios. Adios.